The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. If you have a Bible, would you open to the book of Exodus, the Old Testament book of Exodus? It's the second book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. And it's been my practice over the last seven years to spend Mother's Day focusing in on one of the mothers featured in the Bible. And because I'm a typical male, I just started at the beginning and I've been working my way chronologically through those moms from Eve to Sarah to Rachel and Leah. We've covered Hagar. And so um, I'm not committed to this practice. If God wants to say something different, he's allowed. Can I get an amen? Uh, but it has uh, served our church over the years. So those sermons are available if you're interested in them. But this morning, I want to turn our attention to a character in the Old Testament who gets just a, a brief mention by name, but whose story actually is a central part of God's redemptive story uh, throughout the whole entire Bible. And her name is Jochebed. Can someone say Jochebed? If any of you... Uh, Pregnant mamas are looking for a baby name. Jochebed <laughs> is on the table. So Jochebed. Um, but I'm excited. I'm excited for how God wants to speak and encourage the moms. And specifically after Jackie shared what she felt like the Holy Spirit dropped into her heart, that there's some of you who are in strange and difficult circumstances. And that is in fact the setting in which Jochebed found herself. And so I believe the Holy Spirit's prepared a word specifically for you. Um, Usually I like to read my text and then pray, but my text is like two chapters long. So um, we'd be halfway done before I got to pray. So let's just start and ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word. Amen. Father God, I thank you for your presence that is near, that you are the same God today that you've always been. Lord, we are, we're going to drop ourselves into a little part of a story that happened a long, long time ago. Uh, to a people different than us in a different place, in a different era, spoke a different language and had a different culture. Um, But you were their God and you are our God. And they are so similar to us in so many ways, God. And so I just pray for every single one of us, male and female, young and old, uh, Lord, seeking and opposed to you, Lord. I just thank you that nothing stops the power of your word. And so we just pray, Lord, as we read your word together, that you would open ears to hear and eyes to see, God, that you would give the gift of faith to believe and that you would strengthen the faith that we have, Lord, that we would come to know you truer and better and stronger and that we would find courage in the face of strange and difficult circumstances. God, I pray especially for the mamas today, Lord, being a mom, I observe is sometimes a thankless and painful job with incredible joys, but also Uh, very, very difficult challenges. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would just lavish your love over all the moms today in the time that we have together. We're eager to hear from you. Would you speak to us now in Jesus' mighty name? And all God's people said, amen. 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 So uh, we don't get Jochebed's name in the narrative that we're going to turn to this morning. We don't actually get her name until Exodus chapter 6 and verse 20, where she is listed within the genealogy of the Levites. And uh, chapter 6 and verse 20 says, Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. And that is the place in the genealogy where we're told her name. 
And this passage that we're going to look to in Exodus chapter 1 and part of Exodus chapter 2 speaks to a period in Israel's history that was really dark, really challenging, uh, really strange. And while it may seem disconnected from your everyday experience, I think you'll find that the spiritual connections are quite strong. And I want to just remind any of you, especially moms who are walking through something that is a long, difficult season and also painful and peculiar in ways that you haven't had to face challenges like this before, that God is the same yesterday as he's always been. He is here to speak and faith in him and fear toward him can give you the strength you need to stand up with great courage and to face the battles that he has prepared for you. Do you know that the battle belongs to the Lord? He'll never leave you alone. He will never forsake you. His love is relentless. His word is true. His power is enduring. I've heard um, throughout my life, but particularly in the later days, more and more young people uh, commenting about how they don't want to have kids. They didn't want to have kids for lots of uh, various selfish reasons of having particular personal goals and seeing children as a distraction from those goals or an obstacle to those goals. But I'm hearing yet again, people talk about not wanting to bring children into this world. It's getting so bad. We don't want to bring children into this world. And I just want to let you know that while that may be like a compassionately uh, impelled, compelled thought, it's actually quite contrary to the story of God. Do you know that? God's all about bringing people into this world. And in fact, the people he brings into this world uh, are, are, precious to him and when empowered by his spirit end up being the very conquerors that change the world from what it is to what he wants to make it. And so sometimes it's the children that God wants to bring into the world that end up being the solution to the very problem that makes us think we don't want him to be here in the first place. And that's certainly going to be the story. Ephesians 5 says it this way, look, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. This is making the right choices, thinking the right way making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So Exodus chapter one, starting in verse one. So this is uh, now the second book of the Bible. The first book of the Bible tells the story of God's creation, the fall of mankind, God's f- the, the flood narrative and God's great judgment, but his preservation of Noah as a fulfillment of his promise. And then the calling of Abraham, the gift of Isaac in his, his and Sarah's late age. And then Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau and the blessing falling to Jacob, who then becomes the father of 12 sons. And then they find themselves in a great famine by which the second half of the book of Genesis is all about God's salvation of his people from this great famine through the story of Joseph. And the book ends with uh, all of Jacob's family, all of his 12 sons, their wives and descendants, 70 in total, finding refuge in Egypt. And that's where the story of Genesis concludes. And you see God's providential care over this family and this particular man, Jacob, called Israel, his sons and their family, and ultimately his fulfillment to his promise to be a blessing to the whole earth. And so we pick up in Exodus chapter one and verse one, it says, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons, Joseph was already in Egypt. And then verse six, then Joseph died. And he was, of course, the second in command because of what happened in Genesis in Egypt. And all his brothers and all that generation, they all died. But look at verse seven. But the people of Israel were fruitful 
and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. And this is, a, this is the, the language of Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so you need to hang on to this terminology. And as you read Exodus, you're gonna find all of these words that go back to the purposes and the plans of God, the blessing of God, his mandate upon mankind. And these same words uh, fill verse seven. However, this is not a blessing to Pharaoh or the Egyptians. Look at verse eight. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Joseph who? But he has inherited a problem and that is a very fruitful Israel who is inhabiting his country. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly, this is important, with them, lest they multiply, which is what they are doing. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape the land. And so Pharisee is a problem with this fruitful people. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. Their solution to the fruitfulness of Israel is oppression. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick, this is the men's work, and in all kinds of work in the field, the women's work, and all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. And so here quickly you have what had become a place of refuge has now become a place of oppression. And how quickly that happens in our own lives, isn't it? You're in one little season where everything seems to have gone right, and without you moving anywhere, what ends up happening is as your circumstances change, you feel more and more and more pressure from the outside. This could be as small of a thing as you finally bought your dream home and then those mortgage payments started coming. And then you lose an income or your income goes down and what used to be a place of refuge now feels like a place of oppression. It can happen in relationships and circumstances, at a job, because of sickness. The thing that at one point brought you safety and salvation now becomes the environment for this oppressive pressure. And so because this didn't work, Pharaoh takes a new tactic. Look at verse 15. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puha, also available. <laughs> Puha. When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. Let me stop right there. Um, so what's going on here is that Pharaoh is still dealing shrewdly, but now he's trying to do a covert op, 
okay? He's communicated to his whole nation that these people are a threat. He's tried to dominate them through oppression and through slavery. And even, un, even in the midst of that, they've only become more fruitful and become more dangerous. And now he's going to attack them through not oppression, um, but through um, death. And he's gonna do that by going after what he deems to be the most um, uh, concerning part of the population, and that is the males. And so if he can keep the male number low, then the soldiers are low and this, this nation of women cannot be stopped. Now, this is great, and this is why this matters for Mother's Day. I, I just think it's comical when people try to talk about Christianity as being misogynistic and the Bible being patriarchal and that the, 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 the women of the Bible are, are always suppressed. In fact, that is quite the contrary. When you open the Bible, it features the faith and the action of women from the beginning to the very end. Do you know that? And in fact, this part of the story is no different. And so Pharaoh, the man in charge, the, the, the powerful one, seeks to take control of a circumstance through oppression and death. And he tries to bring into his command these midwives who he thinks he can threaten and coerce to bring about his will secretly so that the Hebrews would look upon the death of all these male childs as some kind of plague or judgment without him taking the rap for this. Do you see this? And so he's got this subversive plan and he's gonna manipulate and take care of this plan by using women. But look what happens, verse 17. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Can I get a hoorah for the midwives? Who's the hero in this story? They say, I ain't scared of you. These are the, this is the, kind of the first act of civil disobedience. This preceded Rosa Parks. These midwives say, no, no, no. It doesn't matter what you threaten, what you say, who you think you are. My God is bigger than you. And I put my trust in him. And I report to him. And I take commands from him. And so they just disobey. Verse 18. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? And let the male children live. And you got to love this response. The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. <laughs> what a dirty little lie. But don't you love that it says Pharaoh sought to deal shrewdly He's trying to be manipulative and controlling and take, take uh, control of the situation. And the women just give it right back to him. They're like, these Hebrew women, they're not like these, these bougie, petty, little Egyptian women. <laughs> no, we get there, the deed is done and they're making bread. That's what's happening with these women. And they just stick it right to him. And I'm sure this guy is fuming, uh, but he has nothing to say and nothing to do. And verse 20 says, so God dwelt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. So the midwives would have been like spinsters. These would have been women who don't have their own husband and children and just are given to go from, from home to home, assisting in the birth of other women's children. And so there would be a particular, I mean, role for these women, but also a bit of a curse on them, a perceived curse that these are childless women. And so even the midwives are having babies. <laughs> this is amazing. Well, now it gets from bad to worse, out of the frying pan into the fire. Look at verse 22. Then... Pharaoh commanded all his people. So now he's, he's lifted the lid off this thing. It's not sneaky anymore. There's no covert ops. 
And he says this edict, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And so here we have gender specific infanticide and every Hebrew citizen, soldier and citizen alike is now compelled by Pharaoh's edict to upon the appearance of a male Hebrew child, that child ought to be drowned in the Nile River. Now talk about strange and difficult circumstances. Imagine what it's like to be a young woman, a young married woman of childbearing years with no, no uh, contraception. There's no planning around this. If you, are, if you are pursuing God's call for you, the inevitable result is likely that you're gonna become pregnant. And there's a 50-50 on that's gonna be a male child or a female child and you're in an environment where there's an edict, an official edict with everyone involved in fulfilling this edict to kill all male children. Talk about evil. Talk about bringing children into an evil world. And yet this is the setting into which we are introduced to Jochebed. And she's not named because the focus of this section becomes Moses himself, but I'll love to conclude by showing you how important it is when her name is finally named. Look at Exodus chapter two and verse one. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. I wonder what those three months were like. It's, it's interesting when you read the Bible, you know, a generation can pass in a paragraph, years can go by in a sentence. And so you mentioned these three months, but we know what it's like to live moment by moment, day by day over a period of a week and months and years and a lifetime. And here we have these three months where here is Jochebed with her young unnamed son whom she fears for his life. And she is keeping him secret and keeping him quiet and every day living under the pressure of an impending snatch and grab and and the loss of her son. Can you imagine what that would have felt like for her? Take yourself into that moment. Now imagine, I don't know what you're facing. Some of you, some of you moms are here right now and you're, you're about to drop a five-year-old off at kindergarten this fall. And it feels a little bit like denial. Some of you are here and you've got a 17-year-old who's run away from home. Some of you are here and you have a 42-year-old who won't talk to you. Some of the moms are here right now plagued by fear in details that I, I couldn't even begin to guess at but here's, here's the reality is no matter what circumstances you are facing, our God is the same. And he is the one to be feared. And he has given us a perspective on the world that gives us the strength and ladies, the courage to act in faith and honor him and trust him for the outcome. One of the things I love about this passage is it can continues to show a situation that looks like it goes from bad to worse. And sometimes we end up taking our perspective on a circumstance and judging God by it. I encounter this all the time. People say, how could God be good when this happens? How could God be powerful when he allows this? I can't believe in a God that would let this situation occur. And the problem is, is that we're not called to judge God by our circumstances. We are called to judge our circumstances by our God. And when you know the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when you know Jesus, the Son of God, when you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, what you know is this situation is nothing for my God. And so I walk before him with courage and in the fear of the Lord. 
And I look for every opportunity to honor him and to do the right thing and the next right thing and the next right thing. Even when I don't know what to do, I'm going to trust God and watch. And this is exactly what happens. And I love that Jochebed brings in her young daughter into this next strategy, which is beautiful. Verse three of chapter two. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now, immediately you may think like, She's bringing him to the edge of death. (laughs) She's putting him in a basket at the very place where they said, if you find a male child, throw him in the water. And she brings the male child to the water. Any of you guys thinking like, what's the strategy here, Jochebed? (laughs) But she did have a strategy. In fact, what you can't see in English becomes very clear in the original Hebrew. And that is the word there for basket. You've heard it before in Genesis chapter six. It's the word ark the salvation boat, the boat that carried the faithful promise of God that even in the judgment of the waters, God would provide and protect and preserve. And what did she do? The same thing Noah did. She coated the ark with bitumen and pitch to make it waterproof. And so it doesn't matter what the circumstance, it doesn't matter how close to the edge, it doesn't matter if you're facing down death itself when you put your faith in the God who saves, you can trust in his miraculous provision. And so she leaves and she leaves her young daughter. I can imagine, I can imagine Jochebed saying to Miriam, who would not have understood this, you're you're putting him so close to danger. And Jochebed would say to Miriam, watch this. And so Miriam poised at a distance, staring at her young three-month-old brother in an ark. Look at verse five. Now, this is where providence starts to show us an unnamed God at this point. Now, the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. Would you look at that? While her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. So she has this, Awareness. Now, we don't know what was going on in her heart. We don't know what was going on in her circumstances, but we do know that when she saw this child, like every person who sees every child, there's a natural impulse towards compassion and pity and preservation. Do you know that? This is one of the reasons why one of our mission partners, Resources for Women, tries so hard for young girls who are considering terminating their pregnancy to have them have an ultrasound. Because more often than not, when a girl, a woman, sees the child in her body, her heart moves towards that child. Without a word, you don't have to say a word. You don't have to convince anyone of anything. You don't have to say, you can do this, we can help. You just show them the baby. And something about those fingers and those toes, 
sucking that little thumb, in, even at the earliest part of pregnancy, brings about, evokes in the human spirit something of that compassion. And that took place in Pharaoh's own daughter. And then I love this. Verse seven, Miriam speaks up. <clears throat> I just happened to be standing here. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse a child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, to the slave woman, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. Guess who got a job? Guess who's a working mom? And guess what she's getting paid to do? Take care of the very son who only a day before was the thing that caused her the most angst and pain. Do you see the power of God? Do you see what's put on display in this narrative is for those who fear the Lord and do not fear the threatening environment, the circumstance, those in a power to oppress, those who even have the power to threaten death itself, they have nothing. And God brings about his miraculous plan of salvation and provision. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Now, I wish I had time this morning to tell you all of the amazing components in this passage. And in fact, you could study this for weeks and they just keep popping out and popping out and popping out and popping out. The little nugget I told you about the basket and the ark and the bitumen and the pitch, all of those little details, they're just throughout this whole thing. The continued speaking of blessing and multiplication. God called his people to have dominion over the earth. And yet that's inverted because instead of having dominion, God's people are oppressed. Do you see this? And so God is the God of freedom, but God is also working a million little plans all around you. God is always doing more than the obvious. Don't ever let your darkest circumstances dictate your perspective on God. Instead, walk with your God in faith and watch as you have the courage to face down dangerous and strange circumstances only to find God prevail on your behalf. That is what this story is about. It's meant to give men and women of antiquity and today the courageous faith that we need to put our trust in the living God. And this is not just a story about what God had done in the past. He had saved Noah and his family to be faithful to his word. I mentioned it's really important that you know some key verses in the Old Testament, one of which was in Genesis 1, that he blessed them. and said, be fruitful and multiply. And also really important is Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And this happens after the fall of mankind, when God is explaining how the curse is going to impact the men and the women and the serpent. And when speaking to the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, God says, I will put enmity between you, serpent, and the woman. This may be the reason why women don't like snakes. <laughs> this is why it seems weird to you when you find a woman who does like snakes. <laughs> between your offspring and her offspring, and this is odd here because in the original language, it said the seed of the woman and, the, and women don't have seeds. Do you understand this? Even to the ancient people, they would have thought seed of the woman. What kind of woman are we talking about here? seed of the woman. It says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This idea of striking. And this is what theologians call the proto-euangelion, the, the early gospel, the seeds of the gospel. This is in a very 
tiny, tiny, tiny way saying a, a child is going to come, a male child from a woman is going to come and he is going to conquer the enemy of humanity and be victorious. And yet it's going to come with great cost and great suffering. Now, what does that sound like? Right? Now think about this for a second. The name Moses. Do you guys know what Moses means? I mean, in the passage, it says, because I drew him out of the water. And the name Moses sounds like the Hebrew verb to draw out. But do you know that Moses is also an Egyptian name? You know who was likely the Pharaoh at this time was Thutmose, Ramoses. What does that mean? It means son. Moses is Egyptian word for son. A son that apparently God kept the Pharaoh's daughter from having. And so here you have a childless king's daughter taking her daily bath, discovering the miraculous provision of a son. Now, Thutmos means son of Thut, which was an Egyptian god. And Ra-Moses is son of Ra, which is an Egyptian god. Moses is the son provided to Pharaoh. And here we have, or to Pharaoh's daughter. And here we have, the movement of God to deliver his people from the incubator that is Egypt, to set them free through this birth, through the Red Sea, to become the people of God. And how does he do it? He raises up a son, a son who is both an Egyptian and a Hebrew, a son who has a foot in both worlds, a son who is a deliverer and a savior and a leader. And while being an imperfect one, a picture of the one who is to come, the son of God. Do you see? Everything that God is doing here is not just for the faith of the people in the story. It's not just for the faith of you in your situation. God is putting on display that he has a plan to provide salvation for all people. And anyone who would come to him with the smallest amount of faith and believe in him would experience his dramatic and powerful salvation, protection, and perseverance. Do you know that this is the courageous faith, moms, that God's calling you to walk in? Listen, I don't know what your circumstance is, but I know who your God is. I know what he's done to save everyone that would come to him. I know that there is a son of God, a God man who has a foot in both worlds, who represents us and who can save us. In the, in the Hebrew language, the verb for cover and the word for pitch are very similar and they sound like kafar, kafar. And that becomes the word that God uses to describe the atonement on the day of atonement, that God would cover over our sins. And this becomes the work that Jesus fulfilled when he became the sacrifice for sin. He covered over it and he bore it away. Never again will we stand before God and have to deal with the problem of our own brokenness and our own sinfulness. Why? Because we've been covered by the son of God. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And I'm here to tell you, every page of your Bible is filled with references and explanations and forecasts of the powerful work of God, least among them, the name Jochebed. You know, I mentioned to you at the outset that we don't get Jacobed's name until Exodus chapter six in verse 20, and it's buried in a genealogy. And you may not have known that because if you're like me, you don't read genealogies. You feel like, let's get back to the story. I'm in the phone book. What happened here? You ever feel like that? 
You're like, there's a bunch of names I can't pronounce and where are we going with this? And oh, chapter seven looks good. Has that ever happened to you? Do you ever wonder why these things happen that way? The genealogies are in the scriptures because God promised that a seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And every time a son is born, a hope and expectation arises to say, will this be the son? Will this be the son? We'll carry the blessing. This is why it matters that Jacob carried the blessing and not Esau. This is why it matters that there will be a tribe and that tribe will bear the king and that tribe is Judah. And so we follow the lines. The genealogies are there because everything is leading down to one name, the name Jesus. Do you know that? Now, Moses, at 80 years old, after fleeing Egypt because of a murder, so he's a fugitive on the run, he has an encounter with God, the God he thought he left in Egypt, the God he thought he was abandoned by, the God he thought he would never understand and never go back to, that he was estranged from, the God of his mother, who he thought he would never see again, as he's living alone in a new tribe with the Midianites and taking on a a wife and sons. He has a whole new life. He thinks the whole thing is over and doesn't have any hope for the future. Maybe some of you feel that right now. And he encountered something very strange, a bush that was burning, but not consumed. And he approaches it to discover the voice of God speaking to him through the bush. And he has this encounter. Moses is called into service. Now, by this point, all of us are looking at the story and going, Moses is the man for the job. But the story in chapters in five and six is all about Moses being like, nope, not me, can't do it. And he just keeps pushing back and pushing back and pushing back. God gets kind of ticked off, actually, if you read the story, it's kind of fun. He says, I'm not gonna do it, I'm not gonna do it, I'm not gonna do it. And one of his objections is, who, who, who am I supposed to say sent me? The burning bush voice? You know, like, that's not gonna sell well. I'm already uncomfortable with this arrangement. And what does God say? Here's, here's who you can tell the people sent you. I am that I am. And what is that? Yahweh, right? Yahweh, Yahweh. And so this is news to Moses. But this same God, through the oral traditions that became Genesis, I mean, this is, you're talking about a people who had a Bible that was one book long and only an oral tradition. And this is why it's so important that in Genesis chapter six, we are introduced to Amram and Jacobed. Do you know why? Because Amram means mighty nation, the very thing that posed a threat to Egypt. And you know what Jochebed means? It's actually the very first name in the Old Testament that uses the abbreviated form of Yahweh, Jehovah. And it means Yahweh is glory. And that is who raised Moses as a child. That is who nursed Moses. That is who taught Moses who he could put his trust in. Can you imagine when Moses heard, your name is Yah, like my mom? The the Lord is glory. Jehovah is glory. I wanna ask the worship team to join me as we close. And I just wanna ask you, moms especially, where does your sense of value come from? Your sense of worth, your sense of beauty, of, of acceptance? Where does your sense of dignity come from? The mom journey is hard. It's hard and thankless. I, I have, I've, had, I, I've had the privilege of living life very closely with my wife, the mother of our children, and I have watched a woman capable of running a significant business and managing big, big 
problems and issues and tackling big situations, also be the mom that picks up a lot of Cheerios off the floor. Do you understand? And sometimes we feel like there's these things that we do that are unseen and unpraised and that it's not a very glorious role. But, but that's not the source of your glory any more than being the CEO of a Fortune 500 company would be. The source of glory, the meaning, worth, dignity, purpose comes specifically from you being who God said you are. And I'll be honest with you, that's what's under attack in our world right now. Our world would like nothing more than to confuse everyone about what God says they are to send them on a wild goose chase looking for the glory and the meaning and the dignity and the purpose and telling them that it can't be found out there and it can't be found in here and who knows what it is. And whenever you decide what it is, run after that with all you've got and make all the changes necessary to experiencing it. Jochebed reminds us that we can have courageous faith in any circumstances because God is the source of our glory. You are who he says you are. You can do what he says you can do. He is there to support you. He is there to save you. He is there to protect you. He is there to provide for you. And as you walk in the fear of the Lord, you will watch in strange and difficult circumstances the power of God at work in your very own life. He has fulfilled every promise by sending not just another deliverer, shaky and uncertain and a little reluctant. No, he has come the Son of God himself, Jesus, our Messiah, to conquer sin, the enemy, death, and the grave, and to open, open the gates wide for everyone who would come to him by the same faith that Jacobed lived with. And so her example is an example to all of us. And whether you are a man, a woman, a mother, a father, a single person, childless, this is the same offer God wants to become. Yahweh to you, that you would know him for who he is and he would become to you everything that you need. Amen. God, I just pray for all of us. Lord, only you are aware of the details of our various circumstances. And yet we all can relate to the concept of being in strange and difficult situations. And I pray, Lord, that as we've just briefly examined this little part of your big story, that we would just have our faith lifted to have the courageous faith of Jacobed and others like her. God, that we would see what you can bring through bold obedience and faithfulness, even in the face of threats of death and oppression. And God, I thank you that there are women in my hearing this morning who are raising Moseses and Aaron's and Miriam's, Lord, who are giving their lives to show the next generation that Yahweh is glory. And this is where the strength comes from. This is where the power is. This is where the value is. And so join yourself to him by faith and let him become your salvation. Let him become your protection. Let him become your provision. Fear not the world around you. Fear not the oppressor. Fear not the threats, but walk in faithfulness to him. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would write that message on our hearts for today and for tomorrow and for the years to come. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's, let's stand and respond. I want to remind you our prayer teams are here. If God's moving in your heart, you want to use this time to, to pray with somebody, you're welcome to come up front and they'd love to pray with you.